2 Chronicles chapter 30. In this chapter, we're going to learn more about the great reforms that King Hezekiah made in Judah and how it affected Israel. Even though he wasn't considered the king of the other ten tribes, he still exercised leadership over them in a very godly way. Hezekiah was one of the greatest kings that Israel ever had. There was only a few really great kings. King David was one of them. Hezekiah was one of them. And then there were others who followed the Lord, but they weren't as influential as Hezekiah and David were. What's special about Hezekiah is that he took spiritual responsibility for the entire nation of Israel, even though the other ten tribes didn't recognize him as king, and you would have thought that he wouldn't have taken spiritual responsibility for those tribes who didn't recognize him, but he did. So he really went the extra mile to please the Lord and bring all of Israel into a better state with the Lord. Verse 1, And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah, and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, to keep the Passover unto the Lord, the God of Israel. Hezekiah has already offered sacrifices for the forgiveness of the other ten tribes, even though they didn't ask him to, and now he's inviting the other ten tribes to join in the annual Passover feast. 2. For the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month. And actually it was supposed to take place in the first month, but this Passover was late. 3. For they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not sanctified themselves in sufficient number, neither had the people gathered themselves together to Jerusalem because it would take longer for the people from all of the twelve tribes to get to Jerusalem, and for all of the priests to be sanctified. 4. And the thing was right in the eyes of the king and of all the congregation. 5. So they established a decree to make proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba even to Dan, that means from the south to the north of Israel, that they should come to keep Passover unto the Lord, the God of Israel, at Jerusalem, for they had not kept it in great numbers according as it is written. For many years they hadn't been doing it because the kingdom was split and the ten tribes were practicing paganism, so they weren't even interested in the Passover. 6. So the posts went with the letters from the king and his princes throughout all Israel and Judah, and according to the commandment of the king, saying, Ye children of Israel, turn back unto the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may return to the remnant that are escaped of you out of the hand of the kings of Assyria. Hezekiah is telling all the tribes, Repent of your sins, turn back to the Lord, and then he will restore us, those people who were kidnapped and taken to Assyria. Hezekiah is actually doing the work of a prophet, even though he's not technically called a prophet. The first job of every prophet is to call the people to repent. Any self-proclaimed prophet who won't tell you to repent is no prophet. But here, Hezekiah is actually prophesying over the entire land of Israel. 7. And be not like your fathers and like your brethren who acted treacherously against the Lord, the God of their fathers, so that he delivered them to be an astonishment, as ye see. To be an astonishment means to make other nations surprised and astonished at how bad you were punished by the Lord. And because of the sins of Israel, 
they've been punished a lot. They've lost lots of battles, they've had soldiers killed, and now they have a lot of people who were kidnapped and taken away. 9. Now be ye not stiff-necked, as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord, and enter into his sanctuary, which he hath sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that his fierce anger may turn away from you. Hezekiah is explaining in his letters to all of Israel that they're getting disciplined by the Lord because they're stiff-necked, which means stubborn, and they won't repent of their sins. And he's telling them, repent now so that God won't be angry with you anymore, and he won't discipline you anymore. Now, is a loving God angry? Absolutely. The same reason that a loving parent is angry. It's love that causes the anger because when you do evil, if your parents care about you, they'll be really upset because they don't want your life to be destroyed. And that's why they get angry when you do bad things. And God is exactly the same way. He also gets angry when we do bad things. 9. For if ye turn back unto the Lord your brethren, and your children shall find compassion before them that led them captive, and shall come back into this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful, and will not turn away his face from you, if ye return unto him. Hezekiah is also reminding the people how God loves to forgive. Forgiving us is God's favorite activity. There's nothing he wants to do more than to forgive us. Because when we're forgiven, we can go to heaven. When we die in our sins, we will perish in hell eternally. And he doesn't want that. He wants everybody in heaven. Never think that God doesn't want to forgive you. That's what he wants most in your life. 10. So the posts passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even unto Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. The Israelites who were practicing paganism actually laughed at the messengers who came from Hezekiah telling them to repent and come join him in the Passover feast. How arrogant, because really they were laughing at God when they laughed at that message. And they may have said to themselves, he's not our king, so we don't care what he thinks. But they should have known that he was the true king of all Israel because the true king's line was always to come from Judah. And it didn't matter anyway because his message was a godly message. Even if somebody who's not a king tells you to repent, you should repent. 11. Nevertheless, divers of Asher and Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Some people came and some people didn't, but the ones who came were from the tribe of Asher, the tribe of Manasseh, and the tribe of Zebulun, which is really interesting because Asher and Zebulun are two of the most humble tribes. They didn't have anything special assigned to them. They weren't Levites, they weren't kings, they weren't the firstborn, they weren't the favorite child. So those are two of the most humble and smallest tribes. And Manasseh was submissive to the tribe of Ephraim. So in a way, Manasseh was also somewhat humble. It's interesting how the most humble tribes are the ones that came to repent. And that shows us that in order to have a repentant heart, we need to be humble, first of all, and understand that God is better than us and that his law is is better than us, and his ways are better than us. And when we humble ourselves and realize that, then we can repent. 12. Also in Judah was the hand of God given to them one heart to do the commandment of the king and of the princes by the word of the Lord, which means all of Judah came to the Passover feast. They were all in agreement. 
13. And there assembled at Jerusalem much people to keep the feast of unleavened bread in the second month, a very great congregation. Even though only four tribes are represented, it's a huge, huge mass of people. Some people from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun ignored the invitation and scoffed at it, but there were a lot of them that came. 14. And they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and all the altars for incense took they away and cast them into the brook Kidron. Now these are pagan altars that they cast away. This is revival in King Hezekiah's time, just as they had revival in King Joash's time. 15. Then they killed the Passover lamb on the fourteenth day of the second month, and the priests and the Levites were ashamed, and sanctified themselves, and brought burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. It says they were ashamed, and I think that means that they were humble before the Lord. And it wasn't just one lamb, it was all the Passover lambs that each family brought. It would have been thousands of lambs. 16. And they stood in their place after their order, according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests dashed the blood which they received of the hand of the Levites. The Levites helped kill the animals, and then they gave the blood in the basins to the priests, who then took it and put the blood on the horns of the altar and the different places where the blood was supposed to go. When Christ died on the, on the cross, his blood went on the mercy seat for everybody's sins. But before that, it was always animal blood that went on the altar. 17. For there were many in the congregation that had not sanctified themselves. Therefore, the Levites had the charge of killing the Passover lambs for everyone that was not clean to sanctify them unto the Lord. If you brought a lamb for your family and you were the man, you would lay your hands on it and then you would slit the throat. But a lot of these people weren't clean and they couldn't even go into the sanctuary area. Being clean requires a lot of things. It requires that you're physically healthy. You don't have any disease. You're not lame in any way. Nothing's wrong with you. It also means that you haven't slept with your wife the night before and that you've done the ritual bath, what today people call the mikvah, but it's where your entire body goes down underwater like a baptism. Some of the people weren't able to do this, probably because they didn't have the proper facilities, and on the travels, they weren't able to get clean after traveling. There may have not been proper lodging to help make all this be accomplished, and some people simply may have not even known how to do it because it had been so many years since they had followed the law. So the Levites are really helping out big time here, just as they did when the initial sacrifices were offered. 18. For a multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet they did eat the Passover otherwise than it is written, for Hezekiah had prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon. And we read about this in the books of Kings, that a lot of the people technically were not clean, so technically they should not have been allowed to eat the Passover, according to the law that God gave Moses. But because it was a great revival, Hezekiah asked the Lord permission to allow these people to eat the meal, because they were in a state of repentance and revival. And even though not all of their ducks were in a row. They were trying to obey God to the best of their ability at that time. And God did give them permission to eat the Passover feast because God acknowledged their repentant hearts. See, God is not maniacal. He's not a dictator. He will make exceptions and provisions for those who need it. God understands. 
He can make provision for you for the special circumstance that you're in. Not everybody was raised in church and started reading the Bible at an early age, and God knows that, and he understands. So he will make provision for wherever you are in life, as long as you're honestly coming to him with a repentant, contrite heart. 19. Everyone that setteth his heart to seek God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification that pertaineth to holy things. 20. And the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. The Lord agreed with Hezekiah that these people need forgiveness. They needed spiritual and physical healing. They needed deliverance in their lives. And that was more important to God than whether they followed the law to the absolute letter. This again is a testament to who God really is. He doesn't want to hold us under his thumbnail. He just wants us to repent and follow him and obey him. 21. And the children of Israel that were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with loud instruments unto the Lord. They continued all of the worship that they were told to do. Everybody was happy, and they did the full seven-day feast. 22. And Hezekiah spoke encouragingly unto all the Levites that were well-skilled in the service of the Lord. So they did eat throughout the feast for the seven days, offering sacrifices of peace offerings and giving thanks to the Lord, the God of their fathers. After they did the initial sin offerings and the burnt consecration offerings, then they also gave peace offerings showing that God had forgiven them and thanksgiving offerings showing fellowship with the Lord. You know, when you first get saved, there's still some things in your life that aren't perfect, and it's going to take a few days or a few months or a few years for God to totally restore your life. But He accepts you on day one. When you completely repent of your sins, you are accepted by God, and then He'll clean up the rest later. There may be things going on in your life that you're not aware are sinful, but the Holy Spirit will bring it to mind and help you clean it up. And that's what's going on with these people in Hezekiah's time. They didn't have all their ducks in a row. They weren't completely clean and whole, but they had repentant hearts. And God accepted them simply because of their repentant hearts. 23. And the whole congregation took counsel to keep other seven days, and they kept other seven days with gladness, because that feast actually is like a 14-day feast altogether. 24. For Hezekiah king of Judah did give to the congregation for offerings a thousand bullocks and seven thousand sheep. He himself, out of his own wealth, gave those animals for the congregation to be sacrificed. And the animals would be partly burnt for the Lord, partly given to the Levites, and partly given back to the people as peace and fellowship offerings to eat. 2. And the princes gave to the congregation a thousand bullocks and ten thousand sheep, and priests sanctified themselves in great numbers. Those who were the rich leaders offered a lot of the animals on behalf of the people. The leaders and the king made provision. 25. And all the congregation of Judah, with the priests and the Levites, and all the congregation that came out of Israel, and the strangers that came out of the land of Israel that dwelt in Judah rejoiced. Just as God's law required, any foreigners in the land would also participate in the Passover and be blessed by it and eat the fellowship food with everybody else. 
26, So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there was not the like in Jerusalem. This is such a great revival that it's just like when Solomon gave the sacrifices and when he called the people to his coronation. It's a huge gathering of people. God celebrates with us when we get saved. And that's what the Passover represents, is salvation. It's a feast that represents salvation because Jesus is the Passover lamb, spiritually. And he died for everybody's sins so that everybody could repent and believe and be saved. The Bible says that when we get saved, the angels in heaven rejoice. And here on earth, in the Passover feast, it represents heaven rejoicing and God as well. 27. Then the priests and Levites arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard of the Lord, and their prayer came up to his holy habitation, even unto heaven. So when the priests blessed the people at the end of the feast, God heard. That means that God was going to honor that blessing and make sure that the people really were blessed. And that is the ironic blessing that was given to Aaron, the high priest, when the people were in the desert. That blessing goes like this, and it's from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That is the blessing that the priests spoke over the people that day. And that concludes Second Chronicles chapter 30.